Uh, good morning, Meadowbrook. Good to see you here. Uh, in just a few moments, I'm going to be reading from Ezekiel chapter 2. So, Old Testament, make your way through major prophets, find Ezekiel chapter 2. We're in a series of talks where we're examining what's it mean to live a God-centered life in a self-centered world. Big question, big challenge. And part of that has to do with the way that you talk. And, of course, uh, I'm not just speaking of the difference between clean language and profane language, although that's a part of it. Uh, But for the follower of Christ, for the person that has the very Spirit of God living inside of you, uh, the bigger piece is, what are the things that God is wanting me to communicate in this world through my life and through my lips, through my walk and through my words? And so that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few minutes, is uh, how he is at work in us to share certain kinds of messages at certain kinds of times for certain kinds of purposes that he's up to, because it's all about him uh, since it's a God-centered life. Now, I don't know about you, but in my family of origin, I grew up with a few challenges to being able to express myself and, and to be able to communicate. For uh, several reasons in my family of origin, I was challenged in how to receive love and how to communicate love. Those three little words, I love you, did not flow from my lips very easily. In fact, uh, I didn't really make very much progress with being able to communicate love and communicate my heart in that kind of way until I got married. And then when I began to have children, that kind of took it to another whole level. And certainly, uh, the blessing that God has given me with a unique church family like this, I've also been helped in being able to do that. But it didn't come naturally to me. It really came supernaturally uh, as God worked in and around my life through other people. In my family of origin, we were a little bit combative. And so, uh, in the way of trying to win, whether it was the uh, war of words and arguments and ideas and preferences and things like that, you just didn't show your weaknesses. And so, to be able to come to a point where you would say, I'm at a difficult place right now. I'm hurting. I never learned to say that until I was you know, late into my 20s and early 30s. That was a very hard thing to say. And way up there in difficulty to communicate in my family of origin was I was wrong. That one still comes a little bit slow. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I mean, that was the height of weakness, right, in a combative family. And so you just wouldn't do those kinds of things. So I wonder, as we begin to get into this, what are the messages that you're challenged to communicate? Are there certain messages and and the words that go with those messages that are sometimes difficult to kind of come out of your mouth? And not only on that personal level, but especially on that eternal level level, where God begins to stir in you ideas and thoughts and messages that He wants you to convey to other people. How do you get there? Well, Ezekiel is going to help us with that. 
And so we're going to be looking at uh, some of his life and some of his message over these next few minutes. And it all begins with hearing. It all begins with God beginning to communicate something to your heart, beginning to stir something into your heart, and you get that, and then you begin to convey or to share that with other people. So the question is, how does Ezekiel hear? And when we get into chapter 2, we begin to see. So if you have that, read along with me. We're going to read the whole chapter. And he said to me, God speaking to Ezekiel, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. And I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. Now, there's a whole lot more to it. Uh, for those of you that are reading through the Bible this year, you're going to be reading uh, all about that and a lot more over this week. Keep your Bible open. We're going to be looking back at chapter 2, and we're going to unpack some of what God was getting at in this entire passage. The very first thing that we have to get is that if God is going to begin to speak to us and we are going to have some kind of capacity to hear from Him, it's going to have to be Spirit-enabled. This is not something that can just happen, uh, humanly speaking. This is something that God has to be at work in us about so that we have a divine enablement, a spirit enablement to be able to hear from him. And so uh, Ezekiel says in uh, verse 2 that the, the spirit began to come upon me. The spirit began to give me ears to hear. I, I stood up and I began to hear the Lord speak. Now, was that an audible voice? It could have been. But I suspect it probably was not. If there had been anybody else within hearing range and God had begun to speak audibly to Ezekiel, something extraordinary probably would have happened around him as other people uh, heard also. And I think you find in the overall weight of Scripture from beginning to end, 
Many, many times, I dare say most of the time, when God begins to communicate with a human, often it is without audible words. You fast forward to the New Testament, you get to the time of John the Baptist, who is in the Jordan River, calling for people to repent, turn away from their sins and be baptized. And then Jesus comes to him, you remember? And he recognizes that this is the anointed one. This is the Messiah. I should not baptize him. He should baptize me. And there's that whole back and forth. And Jesus said, no, for the scriptures to be fulfilled, for the plan of God to be accomplished, I need you to baptize me right now. And so he did. And when Jesus was coming up out of the water from the baptism, we're told that the Spirit was descending upon Jesus as if a dove was lighting upon him. And then there was a voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now, I bring that story to the fore of what we're talking about right now, because John is in the Jordan River. He is surrounded by a multitude of people, including many Pharisees and religious leaders. And this voice comes out of heaven and says, This is my beloved Son. Who heard it? Apparently, John was the only one that heard it because nothing happened with anyone else around. I mean, you would have to expect that some people would have prostrated themselves and begun to repent immediately. And there would have been some kind of revivalistic thing to break out if everybody had heard that. And uh, my point is that so often the speaking of God or the communicating of God to us is not audible to the external ear. But it's discernible to the internal ear or to the heart. And so it, it comes with a sense, if you will, uh, uh, some thoughts, some ideas, maybe uh, some words begin to come into your mind. And it is a spirit communication. And the longer you have relationship with God, the more you develop a capacity to discern. Oh, that's God speaking to me right now. That's God stirring me right now. That's God communicating something to me right now. It is a spirit-enabled thing. But notice, secondly, that it was also specific in its preparations. Now, this isn't a given all the time. Sometimes when God begins to communicate something to us, He'll do so with some other specifics. Hey, And you can expect that it will play out like this. And in Ezekiel's case, he said, you can expect nobody's going to want to hear your message. You can expect that it's going to fall on deaf ears and hard hearts. You can expect people are going to give you a hard time when you share this message. I want you to share it anyway. How many of you sign up for that kind of job? But friend, that's the case. I mean, if you are a child of God because of your faith in Jesus Christ and you have a living relationship with a living God, He's not only communicating things to you about Himself and about you, but He's communicating things to you about people that are around you and about this world. And He has purposes and plans that involve you communicating some of these things to others. And sometimes that's going to fall on deaf ears, hard hearts. It will not be received well. And... We are entrusted with the same task that Ezekiel had, and that's to say it anyway. You share it anyway. There have been other times, just to be fair, 
when it seemed like God was saying, I want you to say this, and by the way, I'm going to give you favor. I'm going to be at work in the other people in such a way, they will hear you well. So go, do, say. And it's happened in that kind of way. And then there are a whole lot of other times where you don't get any kind of specifics. You know, this is going to go well, this is going to go badly. It's just like, just go, just do, just say. Right? And notice in the third place, uh, verse 6 and following, that it's accompanied with a stringent command. And he says, I want you to go and I want you to say these things to people that are not going to hear you well. And I do not want you to be afraid. Fear not. Are you kidding me? You're going to command me to not fear? Isn't fear an emotion? A feeling? I mean, can we actually control our emotions and our feelings? That deserves more pondering on your part. When God gives us command, He also gives us grace to be able to fulfill His command. And so if He says to us, fear not, then we can expect there's going to be an accompanying grace, a despair, Disposal of power upon my life in such a way that I'll, I'll be able to not fear. Now, that doesn't mean I won't have a moment's worth of fright. What that means is that with every moment of fright or unnerved kind of feeling that's going on, I continue to look to Him and lean to Him in such a way that He emboldens me. He gives me courage. He overcomes my fears. That's what that's about. So let's spend a little bit more time with that because that is going to be such a major factor in your being able to get a sense, oh, God wants me to say these kinds of things and to your actually obeying. Being able to successfully deal with your fears is going to have a lot to do with your obedience. Are you with me? How does Ezekiel not fear? first thing you'd want to do is back up and read carefully chapter 1. In chapter 1, and you're going to see this throughout the book of Ezekiel, it is a wild book. And it's filled with wild visions. And in chapter 1, Ezekiel has this blow-your-mind kind of vision of the awesomeness, the terribleness, the greatness, the magnificence of God. Now, you're going to read it, and it's going to be in all kinds of ancient coded language, and you're going to go, say, what? What does that mean? What? I don't even know what that's about. And so just pull out your little study Bible or study notes, or you get a little commentary, read something, and it'll get more unpacked for you. But the point in all that is this. He got a fresh vision of God's greatness to accompany God's command to go and say. And that will embolden your heart. That will give you courage when you have a fresh vision of His greatness. Now, this happens to you all the time in everyday life in other kinds of scenarios. Some of you uh, grew up in a lot of athletic competition, and occasionally you had a good coach. 
and, and a coach that you had a high sense of trust in and you had a high sense that he was very competent and you would do almost anything that he or she would ask you to do. I mean, I had a couple of coaches like that and I had one in track. I was so convinced he knew what he was talking about and I was so convinced about his competence. I would do anything he asked me to do. I would do any kind of drill. I would uh, work out for any length of period. I mean, I, he had 100% obedience out of me for what he wanted in that track season. And one of the events that I competed in was the long jump. And for those of you that didn't watch the Olympics or you don't care about that kind of stuff, the long jump basically is a guy gets at the one end of a long runway and he sprints down the runway until he, you get to a little block and you must hit that block with one foot, not pass it. That's a fault. And you must hit that block with one foot and then leap out into a sand pit. And of course, the guy that leaps out there the farthest wins. And I was doing okay. I would run hard, I'd hit the mark, I would jump out into the uh, sand pit, and I was competing okay. I was close to winning, sometimes I did win and so on. Midway through the season, my coach said, you know what, Scott, I, if you would just jump higher, not just try to go farther, you would add distance. I need you to jump higher. So I tried it a few times, and I wasn't jumping too high. And uh, I, I tried to plead genetics, but he was like, no, I can add, not inches, I can add feet to your distance if you'll do what I say do. I, what do you want me to do? He goes over to the track and he grabs a hurdle. Are you with me? He comes over to the sand pit and he puts that in the middle. It looked like the middle to me of the sand pit. He said, I want you to go back there. I want you to get your run. I want you to hit the mark. And I want you to jump over this, the hurdle, land on the other side of the sand pit. Well, to my experienced, wise perspective, that looked like death. I'm thinking, I'm going to come sprinting down this thing. I'm going to hit the mark. I'm not going to clear that hurdle, and I'm going to die. I mean, I, I was literally, really, really scared. And so he says, oh, I want you to try it. So I go back there, and I, I'm sprinting down, hit the mark, and right when I'm supposed to leap, I chicken out, and I ran around the hurdle. And he didn't laugh. He's like, get back there and do that. So I get back there. I do it all over again. I'm burning down the trail. I hit the mark, and I run around it. And at this point, you know, I don't do well with failure. And so I'm feeling really bad. I mean, I'm just really chewing myself out and I'm beating myself up. And uh, I'm, I've got my head tucked and I'm going back and I just can't believe that, you know. And I've got all this really negative self-talk going on. And I'm just beating myself up. And he comes up to me and he says, Scott, I'm going to give you one more try. You run around that hurdle again, just go into the locker room, don't even come back. I believed him. And so now I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be humiliated to that level. I'll just die. So I come back, and I'm running down. I hit the mark. I take off in the air. And sure enough, I clear the hurdle, and it literally added feet to the distance that I had been jumping. He was exactly right. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you begin to get a vision of the competence of God, the wisdom of God, the capability of God. And God says, do this. It begins to embolden you in such a way that you do it. You say it. But notice also that Ezekiel began to just kind of be consumed with, possessed by the sovereignty of God. 
Now, notice when you're reading across the pages of the book of Ezekiel this week, he will say over and over again in reference to God, Sovereign Lord, Sovereign Lord, Sovereign Lord. In fact, he will say it 217 times. Now, in the rest of the Old Testament, that descriptor, Sovereign Lord, is only used 103 times. Ezekiel himself uses it 217 times. Why? Because he has been gripped, he has been consumed by the sovereignty of God. God's in charge of everything. God is over everything. God has all power and all rights, all authority. He will see that it comes to pass, whatever his purpose, whatever his plan is. I mean, Ezekiel just becomes convinced of this. And so this adds to his obedience and his dealing with whatever fears might have been there. Because remember, God says, when you go and when you say what I'm going to tell you to say, they're going to not only not listen to you, they're going to treat you harshly. They're going to look at you with evil looks. It's going to be like sitting on briars and thorns and and scorpion tails. It sounds really pleasant. So anyway, he is possessed with the sovereignty of God. And then, you'll see as you close out chapter 2 and you get into the beginning of chapter 3, he is consuming, if you will, internalizing the Word of God. He is believing and receiving God's Word. The truth is gripping his own heart and transforming his own life so that he can not just bear a message, but be a message. You follow me? This is huge. And let me unpack that a little bit with what's almost become like a parable to us now these days. Because we literally live, we act according to the way that we believe. And some of you no doubt have heard the story about the elephant at the circus and the guy comes up and he sees all the elephants lined up and they've got just a little bitty wooden stake with a little rope kind of a cord attached to the stake and to the elephant's foot and the guy goes up to the elephant trader and he's like how in the world do you keep these huge massive elephants detained by being tethered to a little wooden stake with a little wooden uh, with a little rope and the guy says well you know when they're Small, when they're baby elephants, we have them staked with chains and metal stakes. And in the formative years of their life, they're constantly tugging and pulling on that. And they just learn they cannot break free from that being tethered to a stake. And so when they get older, it's just fixed in their mind. I can't get free from this. So you can tether, with, tether them with anything and they'll just stay right there. We act according to our beliefs. The truth, the reality is that that elephant can just give a little jerk to a little rope and a little wooden stake and he's free. But he doesn't believe that. He believes he's captive to that being tethered. What you believe impacts how you live. It impacts the decisions you make. It impacts the steps that you take. So I've told some of you this story before, but it's, it's the story that God's just driven home in my own heart 
to change my beliefs, to begin to trust him and to live a different kind of life. Uh, several years ago, uh, in the church that I used to pastor, I received a telephone call one day from a hospital chaplain to let me know that one of my church members had passed away. Mrs. Sams had been in the hospital for some period of time, and the last I heard, she was improving. But I get this call from the chaplain, and she has died. And he says, I'm having the hardest time uh, being able to connect with and communicate this to her children. And I understand two of her daughters are members in your church. I said, yes, that's correct. And the chaplain asked me as a favor if I would help him connect with and communicate with these two adult daughters and their families. This is all before cell phones and, you know... We're, we're t- constantly connected now. But in that day, when you had a landline, if you walked out of the house, you weren't connected, right? And so these guys were all farmers. I, I assumed they were out in the field doing stuff. And so I drove over to the house of uh, the first family, who was a husband, wife, and uh, three teenage kids. And sure enough, when I drive up, I can see them in the distance. They see me pull up in the driveway, and they kind of come to the house. Hey, preacher, what's going on? What you doing here? And I said, well, actually, he came to give you some hard news. So I go, well, come in, come in. So we all go into the house. And I said, I just have to tell you that I just got a call from the chaplain at the hospital, and your mom, your grandmom has just, just passed away, just gone to be with Jesus. And they were in shock. They were like, no way. We were just at the hospital. She was doing fine. She was recovering. We thought she might come home tomorrow. You know? And you know how that can go. And so I'm like, I know. You just never know how these things will go. I'm so sorry. And we cried together. And we prayed for God's grace to comfort. And then I said, I'm going to go up the road to your sister. And I'm going to share the news with her because he couldn't get hold of her either. And they said, okay, okay. So I get in my car and I drive up the road, probably two or three miles down the road to the, the next sister's house. And I pull up in the driveway. Some of you have heard me tell this story. I, I just can see it in this moment. I pull up into the driveway and the other sister comes running out of the house. The door just flings open when she sees my car driving up. And she's literally waving her arms and she's going, Mama's not dead. Mama's not dead. Mama's not dead. And I'm like, oh my gosh. They already got hold of her and she's delirious. She's delusional. You know, now I've got this. How am I going to calm her down? How am I going to help her deal with this? And she gets all the way from her car out of breath. Mama's not dead. Mama's not dead. And I go, oh, yeah, yeah. I did get the call. She is. And I came to tell you. But no, she's not dead. She's not dead. She... I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, the chaplain finally got hold of me and the chaplain t- told me that she's not dead. So I'm like, okay, okay. So we go into the house. I pick up the phone. I call the chaplain. I was like, what's the story? And sure enough, he had the wrong person who had died in a room with two patients in it. And he had identified the wrong bed. And Mama wasn't dead. (laughs) But here's the deal. You act according to your beliefs. We believed at the first household, Mama was dead. And we began to act. We felt full grief. We were in mourning. We were calling upon God for comfort. I mean, we were just there, even though the truth and the reality was something else. My friend, you live according to what you really believe. 
And on one level, you can say, I believe in God. I believe that God is sovereign. I believe that God holds all power. I believe that I ought to be 100% obedient to whatever God stirs in me and calls upon me and, and commands me. You can say you believe that on one level. But actually, what you do shows whether you believe or not. And some of it's just talk. And it has no walk. And if there's no walk, there's no belief. This is why it's so crucial that we get this today. How do you live a God-centered life in a self-centered world? You crank up obedience. You learn how to obey God in all the small things so that you can learn to obey Him in the large things. And a lot of the small things are things that He wants you to say. Things that He wants you to convey. Things that He wants you to communicate. So, Ezekiel's message, as you're going to find out when you get into the whole book, is this. Chapters 1 through 32. 32 chapters. Lamentation. Mourning, woe, judgment. Say it, say it, say it, say it. I need the people to know it, know it, know it. It's not going to be a pleasant experience. And then, in chapters 33 through 48, Ezekiel's also privileged to get to say things about new life. And how God is going to redeem. How God is going to bless at a certain point. How He is going to restore. And Ezekiel was one of those that got the privilege of being able to say the bad news and the good news. Friends, that's part of our journey. When we are God's man or when we are God's woman in whatever kind of scenario, and He begins to stir us and communicate to us and say, Now I want you to convey these things. Sometimes it's bad news. Sometimes it's hard news. And sometimes it's good news of great joy for all people. So another time I was sitting at home late at night in a former church. Get a telephone call. Elmer has had a heart attack. We've gone to the hospital. Can you join us? I get in my car, I head over to the ER, and there is Elmer's wife, Elizabeth, and their daughter, who's an adult about my age, and they're kind of wringing their hands, and they're very, very concerned in the ER about whether Elmer is going to be okay or not, because it seemed like a pretty significant heart attack. So we're there for a while, and we're not hearing much, and I kind of go back and see if Anybody will communicate anything, and they're at a point where they can't. So I come back and say, no, they, they just don't know anything yet. And after we've been there for a little longer period, I happened to notice around the corner the ER doc that had been tending to Elmer, conferring with another ER doc. And it just looked to me, by the way the exchange was going, it had not gone well. And so I tell Elizabeth and their daughter, you know, excuse me, I'll be back in just a minute. And I, I go around the corner and I say to these docs, is it not going well? And they say, no, Elmer didn't make it. He passed. And they were like, we're going to come out and tell his wife now. And I just had that stirring, that sense right then and there, that God wanted me to tell her that news. 
she didn't know these docs. She had never seen these docs. And I was her pastor and her friend. And so I said, would you mind if I just had a minute with her and I broke the news to her and then you can come and give her the, the specifics and the details. And they said, sure, okay, fine. So I, I come back around the corner and uh, Elizabeth and the daughter are just still kind of holding hands and they're fretting and they're wondering how it's all going to turn out. And I'm able to come up to Elizabeth and just say to her, I'm so sorry, but Elmer didn't make it. And he has passed. He's gone to be with Jesus. And he, and he and the whole family were great followers of Christ. And they were like, oh, you know, and we had just this moment and then the docs came out and spoke and gave them a little more detail. So Let me just say that that was not particularly good news. That was kind of hard news. That's not the kind of news you enjoy conveying. But you know what? On one hand, I felt very privileged to be able to convey something that, you know, you really don't want to hear in that moment. And, and I've looked back on that through the years and I was like, why did I feel stirred that I would, why didn't I just let the doc come out and say, you know, sorry, but you know, here it is. And I'm there to kind of be a shoulder to cry on or hold a hand or whatever. You know, why, why did I feel stirred like that? And then it occurred to me later. That God was also using me at that particular time to be the same messenger to convey comfort and to convey hope and to convey the gospel through the funeral uh, service and message that would happen later. And there was a, it just seemed like an extraordinary capacity to communicate into the lives of this family because I'd also been communicating the hard stuff into their lives as well. Which leads me to highlight for us, these things have to come from the heart. God begins to impress things upon the heart, and you begin to internalize it in ways that Ezekiel was internalizing it all, and then you begin to convey it. And some of those messages are personal. God stirs you to say, Tell him you love him. Tell her she is a treasure to you. Tell that child what you see uh, by spirit enablement that I'm doing in him or her. Tell that friend, tell that colleague, tell that boss, tell you know, that acquaintance this thing. And it's a personal kind of thing. Now, friends... I'm just like you, okay? I know I stand on this platform and you sit in that seat, but I, I have the same kinds of stuff go on day in and day out that you have go on. There is not something extraordinary about me. But this is my life every day. Every day I'm conveying something to someone that God has stirred me about. Yeah, but that's kind of that preacher ministry. No, it's not. It's kind of that Jesus person thing. Okay? It's kind of that, oh, the Spirit of God living in me kind of thing. So it's personal and it's also eternal. There are those times when God is stirring you to say to this person that He's brought in your proximity, whether they're family or an acquaintance or a dear friend or whatever, what, what have you decided to do about Jesus in your life? How are you settling the whole question about eternity? 
uh, I see that you make these kinds of decisions. I'm assuming it's based upon this kind of value. Where does that value come from? Have you thought about the values that come from a biblical worldview? And engage those kinds of conversations. You go, oh, scary. I know. I know. Our God is too small if we can't get over our fears. Our fears are not God. God is God. Our fears are fears. We get a bigger view, a bigger vision, a bigger capacity of who God is, and we move forward through our fears. So let me just ask you this. Because I, I know already, God's Spirit is already stirring or reminding you about a previous stirring right now, something He has wanted you to convey to somebody else. You haven't done it yet. A fresh stirring. What's he, what are you going to do about that? Will you share your heart? Will you risk? Will you enter the danger zone? So that really is what our decision is about today. And here's what I will encourage you to do. Friends, you, the practice of meditation is a practice of not emptying yourself and allowing whatever that happens, happens. But it's rather a, a practice of focus. Focus on the person of God. The work of Christ. The sovereignty of the Lord. Focus with some reading. Focus on some of the visions that Ezekiel will have. As bizarre as they are, they are grand. They're just like out of this world. Meditate. Allow the greatness of God to wash over you. And then practice listening to God. You know, you had to practice learning how to hear your boss well. Learning how to hear your spouse well. I know sometimes that's the same. But you had to practice learning how to uh, hear people that have a little accent. Some of you had to practice learning how to hear me. So, I understand all this. It takes practice, practice, practice to gain confidence in hearing from God. And then uh, that underlying commitment that says, And whatever I sense God stirring me, saying to me, conveying to me, I'm committed. I'm going to convey it. I will say what He wants me to say with conviction and with love. And some of us are more challenged on one side of that equation than the other. Some of you got no problem saying something with conviction. Boom! And with love. And some of you are just so... you you got the love thing that you, you just almost won't bring it with conviction. Okay, so it's like the full package. God being your helper. Let me pray for you. So, Father, we kind of marvel in this moment that you are a living God that is so big you can communicate with billions of people at the same time with unique, specific messages based upon purpose and eternal work. We marvel. We marvel that in our little dot on this planet, this little speck in this universe... That you communicate with little old us. 
about matters of such great importance. So, Father, as we've just identified, help us with some steps here to meditate on who you are and your greatness. To train our heart to be responsive, listening to you. And to be committed to convey what you say. So, Lord, we call upon you to work in us in these spirit-enabled ways that are beyond us. In Jesus' name.